Welcome to Off Good Ireland Podcast. In this episode, we'll be speaking to Dave Martell. Dave is a, an author and an influencer, and you can find him on Telegram. Please don't forget to share, like, and subscribe. It really, really helps. And I'd like to type, thank Anne for joining our membership on the Buy Me A Coffee, and you can do that below. Thank you. Dave Martell is a creator, artist, writer, and, and musician. He is co-host of KVL TV. Ari Dad's podcast, uh, producer of Grimmart, uh, Dave, a dark fantasy ARPG, editor in chief of the Biz Archives. The Biz Archives is a pulp fiction magazine which draws on the literary tradition of the 1920s, beloved by the common folk. Dave is also an Odinist. He has dedicated his life to studying and practicing the religion of the ancient North. He is passionate about teaching others about how to practice it in its most authentic and true form. You can learn more about Dave and all his content on Telegram, and uh, the link there is in the in the ad on the main channel, folks. Uh, welcome to Off Grid Ireland, um, Dave. Oh, thank you so much. What a, what a great introduction. You guys did your homework. <laughs> Some of it was catching me out. I, I was... I was... <laughs> But uh, you can we we'll get into that, and you can you can uh, you can describe some of that more to us. Maybe maybe you tell us a bit about yourself, then, Dave. We gave you the introduction, but maybe you could you can hit a few points yourself. Yeah, I, you know, with the with the internet over here in the United States, because of the way that our our, our um, everything is over here, we have a lot of like really bad infrastructure. There are places where we have you know infrastructure that from you know. This, the town that I live in, the three towns that are connected to me, our sewer system is from the 1800s. Like, so, it, it, there's, a, there's a that we say sometimes that, it, that America is third world with credit cards. Yeah, and the, and the trains keep going off the tracks. <laughs> um, oh, my God. I, I heard what you were saying up up to, you said your father was kind of a bit atheistic or something like that. Do you want to just continue it on from there? We'll see how the, if the internet holds up. All right. How about now? Yeah, yeah. It sounds good. It's just it started to go after you were speaking for a while. But I heard you were saying that Anabaptist. You know, your one side of your family, the other side was Catholic, but your father was kind of atheistic. Yeah, I'm. I'm very sorry. Let me rip my phone out of its case so I can actually plug my headphones in. Okay, now we should be good. Let's rock and roll. So you were just giving Beautiful. us the background. Yeah. So um, my, like I said, my my father was that. My mother was a was Roman Catholic, et cetera, et cetera. I didn't grow up with uh, religiosity, really. Um, you know, we went to church. I don't know, for, once in a while. But I very much looked up to my grand. Both of my grandfathers on both sides were very, very religious. And I, I found this to be uh, like a special thing, their like level of devotion, their belief and everything like that. And um, I uh, didn't I didn't experience that. And growing up, I sort of rebelled against, you know, my parents uh, religions because like, well, if you guys don't take this seriously, then it must not actually be meaningful, must not actually be real. So I became an edgelord and. Uh, I was listening to heavy metal, right? I, 
listening to Slayer and Deicide and you know heavy metal bands that that uh, are critical of of religion Christianity specifically. And I was influenced by that. But this pretty much my entire childhood since I was a little kid, I was very much enraptured by the old myth. Right? I was I've always been obsessed with it. It, it just like has always been part of me. From from that came uh, interest in, in things like 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 fantasy literature and uh, history, ancient history, medieval history. I've always just had this connection to the old world. I don't know why. It's just always been there. And, um, you know, I just, uh, long story short, is a long kind of journey going back and forth, trying to find myself. And then eventually I stumbled into uh, heathenry. I stumbled into um, Odinism. And that was about, 15 years ago and i've been it ever, ever since you know i uh, developed my my faith and um i but i sort of believe that i've always been an odinist right i've always because be- i had this one this one time right i'm sure everybody remembers the the skeptic era you had richard dawkins and and um sam harris and and these types of characters that were going around uh criticizing religion uh, during this time, I remember I watched uh, an interview with Richard Dawkins that he had on Bill O'Reilly. And at this time, Bill O'Reilly is a is a was a commentator on Fox News, which is a you know a conservative uh, news station here in the United States. Um, and he's having this conversation with Bill O'Reilly and uh, Bill O'Reilly is, you know, they're having a back and forth. Bill O'Reilly, obviously, you can tell by his name. He's, he's, probably, he's a Catholic guy, right? Irish Catholic. Um so he's going back and forth with Richard Dawkins and Richard Dawkins goes through. He's, he has this argument of, uh, you, know, I, I, you know, you're about as atheist as I am. I just believe in one less God than you. And he goes through and he starts naming all the deities that he doesn't believe in. And when he names the Germanic deities, you know, he says, I don't believe in Zeus. I don't believe in uh, Ra. I don't believe in, you know, um, Osiris. I don't believe, I don't, I don't believe in Odin. And when he said, for some reason, when he said the Germanic names, I felt something in my stomach. It, it offended me for some reason that him saying that they're not real. That annoyed me. I didn't know why, but I just didn't like it. It didn't sit well. Uh, later on, I eventually you know, came into my faith and met, uh, got, got involved with the community and um, all that kind of stuff. And my, my wife uh, converted with me and we raised a heathen family. Uh, I have a kindred or a, like a, a, I have a small community here in Pennsylvania that's been going on for about 10 years. Um, so I, I am at the point now in my, in my life that I don't even remember what it's like to believe something else. I'm so entrenched and enrooted. It is now my base worldview, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, no, it makes makes sense. Um, you kind of covered the points of how you got there. Um, you describe yourself as an alderman. For those of us who don't know, what does that mean, and how did you come into that role? Alderman is uh, it just means elder, right? It's, uh, it comes from the um, old English word elderman, which means like yo. Know, it's actually where it's still used. Some some places uh, here in the United States for people that are involved with government or whatever. It just it, it means elder. So uh, somebody that leads a group um, for a long time will we'll get a title like this, uh, alderman, elderman, uh, elder, um, et cetera, et cetera. Or sometimes they will be lifted to uh, Gavi. So 
I've been the alderman, the, the elder of my community for about a decade. Very good. And um, what type of paganism do you practice or what's the, what's tell, can you go into some of like, what's the process or, you know, because I suppose a lot of people here become from a Christian perspective or atheistic or whatever, but, sure. you know, for the Christian thing, you go off, go on a Sunday, <laughs> if that. So, um, I'm a, a um, Germanic pagan, right? I, I practice the, uh, the, the Germanic tradition. Uh, some people call this uh, foreign theater. Um, there are many different, some people just plain, plainly call it heathenry or also true, et cetera, et cetera. I practice the, the Germanic tradition, which is a, 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 which is the religion that many of our European ancestors practiced before, uh, before Christianity. So uh, a lot of people, when they hear the word Germanic, they think that, oh, it's, it's Germany, or they associate it with, with the Vikings, right? Oh, why are you uh, a Viking religion? Um, the truth of the matter is that uh, ancient Europe had a, a handful of, of uh, ethnic groups. You had the Germanic peoples, you had the Celto-Italics, and um, later on you had the Slavs. And, for example, you know, you folks are, are uh, you know, Irish, um, a lot of times Irish people identify as Celts. What a lot of people don't realize is that Celts weren't just in Ireland. You know, the Celts spanned huge swaths of Europe, and they spanned all the way over into Eurasia. They were a nation of people that uh, covered a lot of land for, for thousands of years. The same thing with the Germanics, which the Germanics and the Celts are obviously cousins. They both come from the same branch of, uh, of Indo-Europeans. But the Germanics were the same thing. Uh, Germania, as the Romans called it, was a very large area, right? It was, at one point, it spanned from North Italy going all the way up into Scandinavia. Absolutely massive piece of land. So uh, when I say the Germanic religion, I, I mean the Indo-European religious tradition that was practiced by uh, a large group of Northern European peoples for many thousands of years. So when somebody says, oh, it's a, it's a Viking religion, that's, that's not a, an accurate way to, to, to say it. The Vikings were one culture in one period of time that practiced a regional version. They're just the ones that, that wrote it down that, uh, towards the end. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, that makes sense. Um... And do, you mentioned there, do, do, do you practice on your own or have you got a community or, or what's the situation with yeah. that? Like? Yeah, so I, um, I have my, my kindred or my clan. It's, it's, it's uh, kind of like our, our, our community and it's made up of a handful of families. Uh, we're about, um, you know, people have moved away and it, come and gone over the years but we were around 15 15 people and 15 to 20 people including kids and um we are in the the pennsylvania area and uh, we are called the scaffolding sip shaft or scaffolding uh penfolk and you know we we practice our faith in this area and um we are uh, good friends with another larger organization called the the uh folk odinist community which kind of cover uh, Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, Delaware, kind of this, like the northern east coast uh, portion. And um, we have a lot of other friends in the area. So, yeah, we're we're part of a, a pretty, pretty big community. And, um, yeah, that's that's the community we're part of.
Good stuff. Um, you see, can you tell us a bit about your holidays? Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Ostara is your next holiday. Mm-hmm. Could you tell us about that and how it differs from the Christian Easter? So uh, Ostara is a celebration of the spring, right? So there is a there is some confusion. Not I don't know about confusion, but I would say some debate over calendars, right? Which this happens in every religion. You know, you go into Christianity, the Orthodox and the Catholics argue about when Christmas is. It's just something that religions do, right? Um, so there's there's some debate over which holidays land where and which calendar is which and et cetera, et cetera. However, uh, my kindred, we do celebrate Ostara uh, coming uh, up very soon. Uh, I believe uh, on the, the spring equinox around that time we practice it. Um, so... Uh, the way that it differs from Easter is not a whole lot. I'll, I'll be completely honest with you. Here's the deal. I am I am uh, a guy in the year 2023. I'm the first generation heathen. I understand this holiday the way that I understand it. Uh, we pretty much just practice Easter. We color eggs. We do Easter egg hunts. We have a big cookout, and then we do our religious ceremony. And you know, we that's about it. You know, it's 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 nothing crazy. It's not it's not it's it's just a religious thing it's like whatever pretty much what every other uh, religious community does except we pray different and we have a little bit different understanding of divinity so it's if you go to uh, you know some a catholic's house on easter it's going to be a, a, a little bit different but it's it's not going to be uh, anything alien right it's very typically western thing because let's you know let's be honest here the 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 holiday of easter the way that we practice it in the West is, at least as far as praxis goes, is a pagan tradition. You know, you, this is inescapable. You know, priests and theologians will admit this. And that's a nice thing. That's a good thing, right? That uh, uh, religions, even new religions like Christianity and, and so forth, can can hold on to these ancient folkish roots and keep them alive, right? So not it's not too much different if you come over to my house for ostara you're not going to find anything too alien uh, yeah it sounds pretty much like like the easter and i had heard before that that was uh you know our pagan pagan origins um uh, the norse religion has been portrayed in shows like the vikings and um more recently in the film northmen do you think it had been fairly portrayed in the media and if so or why not no um i absolutely despise the way that it's uh, portrayed um first of all the tv show vikings on history channel is is um is just completely egregious it's nothing about it is accurate and in some places it gets downright blasphemous um, it's a really not a good show to watch. If you have, you don't even have to be uh, uh, like an Odinist. If you are somebody that has respect for your ancestry and your people and your history, don't watch that filth. Nothing about it is accurate. Everything from like the wife swapping to the the homosexualism in it, uh, the way that they portray, the way that they dress with the. This is one thing that Hollywood does over and over and over again. Hollywood is the. It, loves this trope of these um, ancient Europeans being these filthy-faced, degenerate, uh, lawless, barbaric, savage, backwoods retards. And that is not the case. 
whether we're talking about the ancient Germanics, the ancient Celts, our people have always been a sophisticated people that had law, that had high art, that believed in, 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 uh, uh, keep in mind, the ancient Germanic, they always, they, they have drab clothes, their houses are all filthy, everything's dirty. The ancient Germanics were the opposite. If you, you go, especially go to, not even just the Viking Age, any time in ancient Germania, right, you will, the people you find there will have more in common with Tony Soprano from the Sopranos than they will with um, uh, Ragnar in, in the, the Vikings TV show. They wore jewelry. They were nicely groomed. They wore perfume. They they bathed often. They styled. They had hairstyles and fashion. They wore the nicest stuff. They were about they they were like flashy, extravagant, ostentatious people. They loved getting rich. They they um they didn't like to be to dirty a man's like clothes or something was something you would get challenged to a duel for. These were not filthy backwoods people that used to spit in bowls and drink it and do all this nasty stuff. In fact. When the, the Danes came to England, the Saxons complained that uh, the Saxon women would go for, that the, the, the Danes were seducing their women with their perfume and their dance. And, like, these guys, these guys were considered sex symbols in the middle, medieval world. They had it going on, right? So to depict them as these, like, kind of, like, with their head, the sides of their heads shaved and the face paint and like all this crap is is disrespectful to how our ancestors truly were which were very finely de- dressed sophisticated appreciators of high art and had had complex understandings of of the uh of the world and we also have to keep in mind that these people were were very very wealthy they had um uh, a huge monopoly on uh, for example the tar industry back then one of the biggest building materials in, in medieval Europe was tar. The, the Germanics developed a system to produce tar uh, so efficiently that they produced the best tar because they had these uh, specific northern yellow pines or something that were uh, up in the north that were specific to their region. They could, they could uh, create this tar that was like the best and the cheapest. And because of that, they monopolized uh, the the uh, the trade routes, trading was monopolized in medieval Europe, uh, in ancient Europe, by the Germanics for a long, long time. These were very wealthy businessmen. They um, had a caste system that was very strict. Uh, your your high caste Germanics didn't even like to sully their hands with work. They had um, they were very prolific slavers, right? They had slaves that they made do all the work. That's how they're like, we are high born. We don't do this work. We don't get dirty like that. We are here to trade and to make war. That is who, that is what we do. Right. So they, that's Tacitus said about this, that the, that the Germanics, he, when he met the Germanics, he said that they were these tall, beautiful people that were devoid of, of any of the problems that they had in Rome with the drunkenness and like all this kind of stuff. He said they drank a lot, but as far as like addiction and like all the weird kind of decadent problems that Rome had was not present among these people. They were very uh, conservative people, but he said they, they liked to, to um, they, they, the, the high born men would, would sleep and hang out and recite poetry and sing and dance and do all this kind of stuff. And when it was war season, they would go off to war. And that was kind of like their thing. These were sophisticated people. They were not 
Uh, they were not filthy-faced, retarded barbarians like we see from Scumbag History Channel. No, that that's some really good information there because I suppose like we most people then would have been looking at stuff like that with the Vikings and stuff like that, and it, like you said, dirty, unwashed, um, barbarian type um, thing, and, and so you're after painting a, a, a complete uh, new picture for for us um, <laughs> regarding what you know how they carried themselves. Um, has popular culture and the prominence of Norse paganism in the media? seen uh, have you seen an increase in those practicing the religion since you know it's kind of come popular yeah so um it's it's both good and bad um there are more i i, I run into more people wearing the hammer i run into people that uh, know what i'm talking about now i don't have to um i usually i here's the thing is when I talk to somebody that is from outside the community, I tend to try to use language that I know that they're going to understand. Uh, I don't want to have to um, like explain to them, uh, you know, what a bloat or a symbol is in detail. Every time I, I talk to somebody new, I just say, this is my church. I go to, um, you know, uh, mass. Sometimes I'll call it mass to people. I use I use common parlance so I can avoid having these conversations. So one of the good things is that I don't I have to do that less now. People understand what I'm talking about now for the most part. They understand sorta who I am and and you know whatever when they when they see some of the clothes that I wear. They see my jewelry. Um, they they understand me right. The the problem is is that. There has been an absolute flood of of just hobbyists, people that want to LARP and don't really believe they don't want to. Here's the thing with religion. And I, and this is something that a lot of you that are listening that are religious are going to, uh, you know, sympathize with me on uh, when you accept a religious tradition. You have to try to change your worldview. That tradition supersedes your your current uh, presuppositions. You don't get to to come into the religion and then shape the religion to uh, your your uh, presuppositions. It goes the other way around. That's why it's a tradition. The tradition, a tradition, is a series of commands that you must adhere to. Right? You must submit to that tradition, and uh, that is. And sometimes it's not easy. There are ideas and stuff, especially from from ancient religions, that you have to chew on for a while and like come around to it and understand it, and that um, you know you have to you have to digest. Well, a lot of times these hobbyists that come in that see the Vikings TV show or whatever, they come in and they want the religion to bow to them, right? Uh, which they don't even practice; they just kind of post on Facebook and and wear silly costumes, and it very much cheapens it. It's it's um it's 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 pretty frustrating at times to deal with these these kinds of people uh thankfully you know i i believe that once the the fad kind of fades out these people are going to go piss off somewhere but as of right now they they're just you know they're a cancer they're like they're like a, a swarm of locusts yeah so it's suppose it's you're hitting some points. Like I've got, I've got some, I've some good questions here. But you kind of, 
you kind of covered this one a bit, but I suppose you can hit it again. Are there any assumptions that people make about your religion that, that piss you off, basically? Um, one of the things that um, uh, is like instant annoyance for me is bringing up Marvel Comics. You know, bringing up Marvel Comics is something I, I really do not like. Like, I mean... I guess you could make the argument that um, you know the, the 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 gods are are so entrenched in our uh, understanding and in our in our, our our full consciousness that they got turned into characters. However, uh, to have these the, them turned into characters and then p- uh, placed at the whim of these vampiric rotten. Uh, creatures that run Hollyweird, and uh, to put them into these, it, it's very sacrilegious. And um, I don't flip out. I'm not gonna like whatever. I'm a normal person. I understand somebody doesn't, under- but uh, that that annoys me. Um, another another thing is um, people just assuming that I that that we aren't theists, right? That uh, this is like the you're calling us tr- dirt worshippers or tree worshippers or or something of that nature. Uh, there's there's quite a few misconceptions about who and what we are and what we do and what we believe that can be a little that can be a little frustrating, right? Um, it's like uh, uh, it's like when you bring up to a Catholic about like child abuse in the church. Here's the here's the the, the truth of that uh, of that situation. Uh, child abuse happens far more in public schools than it does in any sort of, um, you know, uh, ecclesiastical uh, school, private school, right? So it's it's not as big of a deal, but they blow it up in the media. And bringing up that up to a Catholic is is like insulting because to them, the church is like their their way to salvation. They believe the church is is uh, is the word of God, right? So to like say, oh well, your church is is a pedophile commune or whatever uh it could get under their skin you know what i mean it's the same kind of thing oh that's that's good stuff um sorry um i'm going to let uh patricia in now because she has a a, for the next uh few minutes she has some good questions for you (laughs) sure yeah, thanks, thanks, Gavin. Yeah, um, Dave, um, do you do you think with the rise of paganism, especially in Europe, you know, with everything that has been happening to us the last few years, do you think mm-hmm. that it could be it could be um, a help to us going back to our old our old ancient ways, the sense of community, the sense of you know being proud of who you are, <laughs> and 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 being proud of who you are and do you think do you think that it could it could help you know you know um get a sense of who we are and what we stand for because i think i think our identity and our culture has been lost through the years and especially with the with the rise of the abrahamic religions we have lost who we are as a people we we come from an ancient land we have ancient blood running through our veins, and I personally think it's time to get back to that and mm. reclaim who we are as a people. What do you think? Yeah. So, um, yes, absolutely. 
especially when you when you approach it from an authentic way right when you when you look at these ancient traditions as traditions and not just some um, you know a, a cultist playground or some kind of you know hobby or or whatever when you go into it with real belief and real conviction and real devotion it's it a lot of the things that that uh, will combat what we call globo homo is already baked into those beliefs right um the, the patrilinealism is an aspect of ancient pagan tradition the bottom line is that uh you you believe these traditions because going all the way back there was a a, a man that sired us and that man was uh, descended from the gods right the gods themselves right it bakes into us this belief that um race and ethnicity and language and culture and the things that go into making our identities aren't not aren't just like some materialist thing with you know propositions on top these are are meaningful lineages that have divine origin and our ancient sacred poetry says so right that is those you open the edda you read voluspo right you read rigsthula these are stories of the origins of our people bottom line and that we have divine origins and because of that uh we are we we are uh we have a right to exist right we have a right to exist and we we uh, have um we have a right to look out for our own self-interests along with it is uh things like um uh, tribalism right you can't you sort of can't even really be a pagan without tribalism with tribalism comes uh, in-group preference. You know, religiosity, in-group preference, these things are traits of a, of a, of a fertile, a flourishing people. You could go to any uh, group of people in history that you could say these were a successful people, and they had uh, religiosity, and they had in-group preference. And this is baked into it. It doesn't have the universality of abrahamic religions and you know i i, I tread carefully because you know uh, there are a lot of good good christians out there and i don't and i know they're going through some 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 tough times the the churches that they grew up believing in have fallen into the hands of of people that are just you know i mean the worst people right um although we do have historic uh we have historic tension right we do uh the bottom line is I don't like to see anything fall into the hands of of the people that it's falling into the hands of, right? Uh, evil, evil winning is never a good thing. So, going back to paganism, why why is it good? Is is because it has those traits that made our ancestors so virile and ferocious and 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 fertile and all of the above baked into it. You can't get rid of them. Right. And if you try to get rid of them, it's it's heretical. You're doing it wrong. And also, also, Dave, um, in in recent times, I would say in the last few years, um, they have started to rewrite our history and they have started to include, you know, black black actors and <laughs> and and 
and saying and saying that they have you know black Vikings and that you know they have dug up you know different different uh, sacred grounds and they're basically saying that the that the person that's in the ground is from from you know from from black origins and just yeah. basically trying to trying to state that they you know you know those people have been here and basically trying to portray that it's it's their history and their history has been hidden and basically basically creating sacrilege of of who we are as a people in Ireland in England over in Europe especially and what can we do as as a people it doesn't matter if you're a pagan if you're a catholic if you're a protestant what can we do as a people to preserve our traditions and preserve who we are for history to pass on to our children's children because the rate they're going right now we will have no history what can we do? Well, um, I would say, firstly, we have to actually practice, right? We actually have to leave our homes. We have to join communities. We have to participate. We have to put our money where our mouths are. That means actually pulling out your wallet and supporting groups, supporting organizations, supporting projects and efforts. Um, another thing I would say is that uh, economic, we need, we need uh, collective economic influence. Meaning we need to uh, really create and support a folk economy in a way that is uh, that that we have influence. Right. Money is power. Money is freedom, period. There's no way to escape that. And uh, here's the thing is that um, you look at a lot of these other religious groups, the Mormons, uh, Hindus, uh, Hare Krishnas, um, you know, uh, all of the above. Right. The a certain group that shall not be named. <laughs> so there's so many of these uh, religious groups that um, wield power and influence through money. Right. And not just, I don't mean just like, you know, speculative banking or anything like that, but actually have, have industries that they corner. Right. You come over to the United States, you go to the West coast, East coast, no, no matter where, if you see a nail salon, it's probably owned by Koreans. That's something that they cornered. They cornered laundromats. They, uh, they, they are very much in, invested in in uh prosperity of their people uh same thing with the hindus right hindus are are the uh per capita per household the wealthiest demographic in america uh indians right they do that because they send all of their kids they pay for all of their kids to go to school uh, to become doctors and lawyers and accountants and tech and etc cetera, etc cetera. they buy up property the chinese we don't have this kind of organization we don't have this kind of sway. And when you have that kind of money, you have that kind of influence, you have this kind of economy going, you can you can pay for things like lobbyists. You you can you can start taking uh, people to court for defamation and frivolous lawsuits and stand up for yourselves in the arenas that really matter. Another thing is we now we don't get mad, right? We don't get mad. We say, oh well, and I'm not just talking about us here. You know, I'm saying, uh, us here, we get mad, right? I I physically get mad when I see some sort of blasphemous shit on TV. When I see them uh, desecrating our our great ancestors, when they when they portray them in horrible ways or subversive ways, it physically angers me. When we look at other groups, like I, for example, like the Muslims, right? You could criticize the Muslims. 
here's one thing that you got to respect about the Muslims is if you you fuck around and find out with them, right? If you even draw their profit, they will pull up to your house. They enforce that, right? We don't have anything like that. We never react like that. And I'm not advocating for violence or anything close to that, but at least a little bit of anger, righteous anger, some outrage, right? And we, we're, it's starting to get that way a little bit because we're getting pushed pretty far. But how far are we going to go? How, how far are we going to get pushed until it's like, okay, time to flip out? You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly, 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 Dave. Um, I, I'm, I'm on, the, on the same mindset of you uh, as you were. Like, I absolutely get furious when I see all these different things, you know, being posted on, you know, face. Well, not on Facebook, on, you know, on the different social platforms, you know, and just basically, you know, desecrate. Well, you know desecrating our ancestors, you know, just, you know, destroying, destroying our culture and thinking it's okay that they can do it. And as, as a white, as a white race, as, as an Irish race, we seem to, we seem to, you know, be, you know, kind of, you know, timid in standing up for who we are as a people. You know, you're, you're kind of afraid it's be portrayed in the media. Well, you, you know, God, you know, look, Look, you, you're Irish, like, just, you know, just stay there. These poor people, you know, are coming into your country and, you know, look at the vast culture they're bringing and, you know, your, your, your language is backward. Like, we, we have, a, we have a native, we have a native language. It's called Clogaelic and we do not speak it because we, we were told in previous years you know, that was a backward language that you had to adopt English, that English was the way forward. And we've lost that. That's part of our culture. It's part of our soul, you know, and slowly but surely they're taken away. They're mocking, they're mocking on media, our poets, our authors, you know, and all of this ritual abuse of who we are as a people, mm. you know, slowly but surely. And you know, people are accepting of it. And yeah, you know, it's it's got it's gotten to the point for me now that the line has been drawn as far as I'm concerned when it comes to my culture and it comes to, you know, my my you know, my ancestry. You know, I've had I've had enough now and you know the time the time has come that we have to speak out publicly in regards to this. But look at Dave, that was actually fantastic. We could talk for hours, you know, on on you know on the pagan religion and on your on your paths as well. But I just want to I just want to bring um so, something as well that the audience mightn't be aware. Um, you, you had you had a bit of a hard time during during the pandemic, and um, something really amazing came about as well for you. Um, you know in a time where you were in kind of dire straits. Could you could you just explain to the audience, you know, what you were going through at the start of the pand pandemic and, you know, what it brought about, you know, um, you know, it, something really, really good for you has come about from it as well. Sure. So, um, yeah, I had a, I had a tough time during during the lockdowns. I lost my job. Uh, me and my wife, you know, we had our third baby, our baby girl was on the way. 
um, uh, we were getting ready. We were on the up and up, right? We were getting ready to buy a house, our first house together. Like, we were on the come up, right? And um, I lost my job. I lost everything. Everything went down the toilet. Um, I got I got. I got pretty bummed out because of it, right? You know, we're on lockdown. We're getting bombarded from all all media. Corner. The, like, this was the Grim Reaper was here. I would turn on the TV, and they would turn on Telegram, and there's just all these uh, horrible videos from China with stacking bodies and all this kind of stuff. It's like, I'm, I'm a young dad. I got a pregnant wife. Uh, my, my mother is, like, in the demographic that COVID would have supposedly uh, taken out. It got to me. You know what I mean? I got really depressed. I got, re- I went to a dark place. You know, I, I, uh, you know, put on a lot of weight. I, uh, you know, lost some of it was daddy weight, right? So it was daddy weight, but, um, I, I got real depressed and I was like, at one point I was like, I, I got to create something. I got to make something. So during this time period, I kind of, I kind of rolled back and I was, I, I, I kind of retreated back into a lot of the stuff that I loved growing up. Uh, and what I loved growing up, I loved science fiction and fantasy and uh, horror old school horror movies and um i got back into music and uh all of my favorite you know all my favorite music stuff like black sabbath and all kinds of awesome heavy metal bands and um you know i just i went back i retreated into art right and i was like i have to create something so i cooked up this idea uh, to do something that's in the vein of of uh, the last time that western art Western literature was really popping because I'm at, at my core, I'm a writer, right? Um, and that was the golden age of fiction. That was kind of like the big bang of all pop culture that we have in the West was the golden age of fiction, uh, which is the 20s, 30s, and 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 uh, 40s. And I was like, I want to create something that's kind of like this. So I started something that was for those of you, you so those of you might be familiar with uh, a publication from that time period called Weird Tales Magazine. It was the magazine that, that, that uh, great uh, greats such as H.P. Lovecraft and Clark Ashton Smith and Robert E. Howard and uh, characters such as Conan came out of. Uh, lots of many other great, uh, great writers came out of this publication. So I wanted to do something that was sort of like a reincarnation of that. And I came up with the Bizarre Archives. You know, it was a combination of the words bizarre and archives. The Bizarre Archives, weird tales of monsters, magic, and machines is what I came up with. And I, we started making books, and it just took off. People loved it. Um, uh, I had a goal that I was like, hey, if I sell X amount of books in the first rest of the year, then I'll, I'll chalk this up to a success. Well, I quadrupled that in like the first month. Right. I completely blew out all of my milestones. I was like, oh, yeah, well, it sort of started getting legs. And now I'm now I'm here. We are we have like a dozen books that we've put out. Uh, we we have published many authors from from United States and, and, and uh, British Isles and elsewhere. And uh, we publish all kinds of cool based fiction that is devoid of any of the crap that you're finding from the big corporate publishers uh, from guys just like us. Uh, and you know, it's out there and that's what we're doing with the bizarre archives, cool based fiction, uh, for folks to read that is an affordable price. And that's what we're doing. And I'm having a lot of fun with it. 
That's fantastic, Dave. And that's one thing that's one thing that I've really, really admired about you. And we had a previous guest on, I, I'm not sure if you know him, uh, Golden Age Man, and he was in a similar situation to yourself, you know, where where he had to give up his job because he wasn't willing to go down the walk route. And you yourself, uh, during the during the pandemic, you lost your job and you, you went into yourself. You took a step back and said, right, what what am I going to do here? I have a young family. I have a baby on the way and I need to do something. And you you went into the depths of yourself and you found who you actually are. And you are you are a creative person. And you're bring, you're bringing magic by creating the bizarre archives. And it's one thing it's one thing people must understand is, you know, um, your your spoken word, your poetry, your drawings, your story are magic. Hollywood and the elites mm. and all of them gang are thrown are thrown are thrown stuff us stuff at us all the time, you know, which is not good for us. Well, thank you very much. That's that's very, very kind. I do. I do have to specify. I actually don't draw. I do. I do a lot of the other stuff, you know, but uh, I actually can't draw. I'm a terrible artist. (laughs) No, no, no. I know. I know, Dave. But what I'm saying is uh, the people that you have, you know, that Mm. uh, are contributors to your to your um, you know, your books and that they're absolutely fantastic. Artwork, Mm. the artwork there, the stories there are you know, uh, something, you know, it's very special and it's very magic. And we need to be producing more of the stuff. We need to be writing more music. We need to be more creative and putting it out there because it's all pure. It's coming from who we are as good people and it's magic ourselves. And it's a way of a pushback against against the, the crap that they are, that they consider art and that they're trying to infect our children with. So I do think, yeah. you know, that I, I, I think what you're doing is absolutely fantastic. And I was just wondering, um, are you know, are your books available in, in Europe, in Ireland over here? Because I don't, I, I, I follow you now on YouTube as regards the, bar, the, the Bizarre Archives. So I was just wondering, have you anything um, for anyone that might be looking to get some of your stuff over here in Ireland? Sure. Um uh most of our books are available over in over in um the british isles you can in ireland you can get them off of amazon i believe uh what is your big book retailer is it waterstone i think yes yes. so it should be available through them as well uh we have distribution um uh, in, in several countries in europe uh I'm trying to think. So yeah, yeah, you can if you're in Ireland, you can get most of our books, right? There's a couple books that you can't get over there. I don't know why, but you just can't. But uh, most of our stuff you can get. Um, and if you're here in the United States, we physically ship. So if you want to buy directly from us, well, unfortunately, right now we only ship to uh, folks in the United States. But if you are abroad, you can get it from your your favorite book retailer, whether it's um, Amazon or or, or you know, a Waterstone or or whatever it may be. Um, but yeah, no. As far as what you're talking about behind that, I agree 100. percent the 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 original question before we switch subjects is what else? What else can we do to like protect and preserve and fight back? And I would say art, 
right? We are a, a tremendously creative people. We are storytellers. We are poets. We have been, we have been creating folks look at stuff, stuff like fantasy and science fiction and stuff. And especially nowadays, it's like, Oh, this is like niche nerd stuff. No, 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 no. Conan is a son of Beowulf is a son of King Arthur is a son of, of Odysseus. The lineage is there. It's just in a little bit of a different language. You know, the great Tolkien had a, an analogy. He said he called it the pot of soup or the cauldron of stories. And he said that there are these these immortal uh, stories that these uh, I guess today we would call them tropes or archetypes or something like that. But there are these stories that exist in this pot of soup and every new epoch. We dip our ladle into the pot of soup and we pull it out and it's the same soup. But it just it's flavored a little bit different, has a little bit different ingredients because of, um, you know, how we are. So it's like it's very important for us to continue the storytelling tradition. You know, I I just I, I I sort of don't like the word fiction anymore because, yes, it is it is uh, is it fantastical and imaginative and stuff like that. Did it literally happen? No, but it is conveying truths. It is conveying meaningful, meaningful things. And as you said, this is a form of magic. Art is magic. And we must continue to tell stories about heroes. Because if we stop, we will forget what heroes look like. And what kind of grim, desolate, bleak future will there be if there are no heroes? We need to tell these stories, not just about heroes, but about fantastical, imaginal worlds and the far-flung futures and bizarre aliens and horror and blood and drama and romance and gore and violence and, you know, uh, every all of the above. All of the above. This is our thing, is to tell these beautiful, imaginal stories. And we have influenced the world to pick these things up. You know, a lot of folks now watch, I don't like anime, but a lot of people out there like anime. Dude, anime, the the manga, all the stuff that's coming out of the East was directly, directly influenced by us. Those guys that were making those Final Fantasy games and the old uh, uh, Dragon Ball Z cartoons, they were reading sword and sorcery fiction. They were listening to Iron Maiden and and um, you know Ronnie James Dio, and they were they were they were enamored with with the old computer RPGs that were based off of Dungeons and Dragons, and they were enamored with what we were creating, and they put their own spin on it. And some of the stuff that they created was pretty cool, but at the end of the day. It's we are the sires of this. It's not it's not just like a fiction or a hobby or fandom. I hate that word fandom. This is a literary tradition, a robust, imaginative, innovative, special, meaningful tradition that was born, expressed from the depths of our folk soul and travels all the way back to our primordial beginnings. So even if we're sitting here, we're jotting down stories about aliens and uh, evil wizards or whatever we're writing, that is still part of the storytelling tradition and we need to get rid of this this idea that we as, as moderns suck and we're gay and fat and we're not nearly as cool as our ancient ancestors. Let me tell you something. If you took the the brilliant, the geniuses of the ancient world and you sat them down and showed them what we're creating or what we've created over the past few decades, they would be like, this is fucking based. 
You think you think that if you take Wagner and you sat him down to show him the Terminator movies, the first two, the rest suck. The first two Terminator movies, he wouldn't be like, "This is some of the coolest shit I ever seen." If you took if you took Homer and you sat him down and you gave him uh, the Ice Giant's Daughter or Tower of the Elephant or uh, Lord of the Rings or something like that, he wouldn't be like, "This is fantastic." They would love it. They would be proud of us. They are proud of us. So we need to get rid of this guilt and disinterest in ourselves and this self-hate and, 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 and understand that what we're creating now, it may not be as grandiose and, and fantastic. And, uh, you know, we live in different times. We don't, we don't have, uh, we don't have the, the Roman Senate to bankroll uh, the Parthenon. Or the the, the the Colosseum. We don't have uh, you know the, the the patrons of old, the Medici family, to paint the Sistine Chapel. We don't have these types of patrons anymore, right? The the days of like really classical high art uh, is pretty uh, pretty tough for us to 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 execute today. But that doesn't mean that our art forms now aren't meaningful, and it doesn't mean that we shouldn't create them. And in fact, we have to create them. Because those who come after us will, again, achieve those high arts. You know, it starts from somewhere. It's a cycle. Everything's cyclical. There's cycles and cycles and cycles and cycles. And one of the cycles is this cycle of art reaching to the top and then being drugged back down to what is primitive and primal and and lumpy and and, uh, grassroots. Right? You didn't. You didn't start with uh, the statues of ancient Greece. That started out with with uh, folk art. That started out with people uh, chiseling little little effigies. That started out with little poems and, and uh, folk tales. That's where it started out, and then it blossomed into something uh, much more uh, ornate and extravagant and immortal. It is a cycle, and then when that when society falls, it goes back down to the folk art. And that's the period that we're in now. The Bizarre Archives, the pulp scene, and you know, shout out to all the other uh, pulp publications that are out there, is, is folk art. This is, just, this is just a bunch of bros, a bunch of folks that love this shit and want to create it. And we do it with, uh, uh, you know, we're working from, with, with pretty meager resources. But we make it happen. And it's from the heart. It's authentic. It's weird. It's a little bit lumpy. You you buy some books from some underground pulp guys, you're probably going to find a couple of mistakes. You're probably going to find a little bit of wonky layout. You're probably going to find some some uh, something on the cover that's not perfectly lined up. It's going to be a little rough around the edges, right? The Bizarre Archives is literally ran out of my attic studio, right? I don't... I, I have a, I have a, you know, a handful of guys that are very, very helpful. I have some editors and uh, folks that help out and do stuff. But you know what I mean? When I, when, when, when uh, I get a shipment, when I get boxes in, I carry that shit. You know what I mean? I unload it. I carry it. I lug it up steps. I'm the one that takes care of everything. You know what I mean? So, but the bottom line is, this comes from a place 
an irrational place. And this is the important, this is the important part when we talk about art. Irrationality. Modernity and liberalism has enforced this, like, has enshrined the idea of rational thought and logic and science and all this kind of stuff. And some of those things are, are, are useful with understanding reality in certain ways, mainly material ways. However, the things that are truly special and truly immortal and the things that fire us up are irrational. This comes from an irrational place. And that's where the passion comes from. That's where the heart comes from. That's where the romance comes from. And that is what we do have in abundance. Absolutely fantastic, Dave. You are absolutely so passionate. Everyone here can feel can feel it oozing from you. And, and that's what we need. That's what we need is people like yourself. And uh, there's a few people on the chat here as well, you know, to, you know, <laughs> that are so creative and so passionate to get, to get stuff out there, to inspire, to inspire others. And uh, Dave, would you be, are, are you like open to, like if there was young people on the chat here or that, that, you know, had a bit of art or had a few stories, would you, would you be open to looking at them to maybe including them in, some of your, uh, you know, open common books or publications. Um, we, as of right now, submissions are closed for stories. Um, we have, we just have too many submissions, and we're not, uh, we don't, we're not getting our books out fast enough. But uh, submissions will open back up, and we'll be accepting stories very soon. And um, as far as art goes. Uh, we're always hiring artists, man. We're always working with art, especially if you want to help us out and donate a piece and you just kind of want to get into the book, which uh, some folks do. Uh, that's what you're you want to get some 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 illustrations in there. Shoot me an email. Uh, the bizarchives at gmail dot com. Send me an email. You hit me up or hit me up on Telegram here. Send me leave me a comment, send me a message, uh, whatever. I am always looking for artists. If you if you have some sort of talent or skill and you want to get involved with the whole scene, um, just give us a shout, man. We got a lot of cool stuff uh, going on. And what's important, uh, I think, about this this space that we've created is it's uh, it's not a political space. This is something that I that I've been pretty critical in our circles of when it comes to art for a long time. Is uh, it's it's to it's it's it prioritizes political messaging it becomes propaganda which is a, a technology propaganda is technology art is not technology so when you when you create propaganda it, it is not art it can be artful but it is not art so over quite a few years uh things have been too heavily propagandized when you read the bizarre archives you don't even know what our politics are. I mean, if you're if you're like really somebody that's into the philosophy and stuff like that, I'm sure you can find some themes in there that you'll be like, okay, so this is this guy's worldview, et cetera, et cetera. However, we want to launch people into a sanctuary of fantasy. We want to entertain, and that is that is uh, in in my view uh, what is in, in, uh, crucial to creating true art. You know what I mean? And I don't want to sound all kind of pretentious or anything like that, but I think that it's important to talk about. Absolutely. Dave, Dave, we're up on the hour there now. I want to mm. briefly, briefly touch on AI for a moment. Are you, how, are you fixed for how are you fixed for time? I'm completely free. We can talk as long as you want. 
Uh, good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, we seem to be in the beginning of the age of AI. Uh, what What are your thoughts on it? Um, myself, myself personally now, I, I've seen a lot of AI art that have that is that has been published, you know, and it has been shown on YouTube and Telegram and that. And I'm quite concerned myself because I think it takes away from from the human human artist. You know, it's it's your like when you create a piece, it's coming from your heart. It's what you feel. It's who you are as a person. Do you know what I mean? Your art is who you are as a person what you're feeling, your emotions. A AI art is just, uh, just you know, picture. There's no, there's no um, depth to it. Like, as an artist yourself, how do you feel when you see AI art, you know, out there? Well, um, oh, man, this is a big, <laughs> in the doozy. So, um, when we talk about illustrations, and we, well, we talk about art in general, uh, big big tent art, we have to kind of, before we, we discern whether or not AI art is art, we have to discern what is art, right? And this is, this is uh, you know, an undying debate that is going to rage on until the end of time, what art truly is. Um, I have my ideas about it. Uh, one argument is... Uh, I think it's a very simple argument is that uh, art is that which creates aesthetic value, right? That which creates uh, aesthetic value. And under that, under that argument, AI art could actually be art because it can create aesthetic value. Now, uh, when it comes to whether or not it's coming out of the person, um, now you're, this is going to sound like I'm making an argument. I'm not making an argument for AI art. But what I'm what I'm saying is that uh, for a long time, art has been very heavily commercialized. It's been reduced to um, to very base level, very base level stuff. Right. Uh, we have just had like 50 years of uh, freakazoids on uh, Park Avenue in, in New York City. Uh, shooting paint out of their anuses onto walls and like making piles of broken toasters and like everything from Andy Warhol to the rest of these like goofballs just creating garbage and it's literally just just a mockery of art and that uh, we look all around and we see this and then when we don't see that we see commercial art and that's sort of like all we're exposed to we don't really have uh like we don't we don't have like a like a we don't have great painters of our era that, that people lift up right that 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 paint romantic realistic things right that uh, we don't we don't really have these kinds of things we don't have any like great poets of our era uh so we are very unfamiliar with what really good art looks and sounds like so when we look at ai art um you know it's uh, it's pretty tough to stack up a a a like an image that AI art makes of some mystical castle and it looks looks pretty appealing, looks aesthetic has aesthetic value, and then putting that next to a pile of broken toasters with the you know filth all over it or whatever, and be like, oh well, the pile of toasters is better because it came out of somebody's uh, you know soul, right? It's it's pretty tough to make that argument now. I look at it from a practical sense. 
if I could now, in my heart of hearts, if you gave Big Dave a button and said, if you press this button, artificial intelligence and AI art and machine learning and everything will disappear forever, I would press the button immediately. Immediately. I wouldn't think twice. However, here's something that we have to understand about technology is that uh, never in history have we rolled back technology. The only thing that stops the march of technology is catastrophe. And after the catastrophe, what happens is the technology is, is recreated. Once the cat is out of the bag, it doesn't go back in. Technology is, is uh, it marches on. AI art, AI learning, machine learning uh, is here, whether we like it or not. This is something that we're just going to have to deal with. Uh, and what that entails, I don't know. I don't know what we should do about it exactly. Um, I think that I don't. I don't fault. There's there's publishers out there that um, you know. Now I'm as a publisher, we pay out thousands of dollars every every year to uh, artists, to illustrators. We put food on their tables. We actually hired them. We also sometimes use AI art for for promos for certain book covers when the budget isn't there. Uh, we use it occasionally. Right. Um, but that doesn't mean that we don't support artists. We actually, you know, we, we financially support artists. But uh, what, it, what it can be is a useful tool for, you know, because we have to understand certain things when it comes to like book covers, et cetera. A book cover is an advertisement and an advertisement is, is effectively propaganda, right? If you, if you ascribe to the uh, Edward Bernays School of American Propaganda, what he called it, which is, you know, advertising. Um, it's an advertisement. It's not necessarily art. So, you know, it, it's a, it's, it's, it could go a lot of different ways, but here's the deal is that, uh, now all of a sudden people are starting to freak out about AI art and machine learning because it's, it's like starting to come alive. Like Skynet is awakening, right? However, um, this is the, the problem with slippery slopes is once you're halfway down the slope, you can't hop off. It's, it's, a, it's slippery. You know, nobody said anything about this when when uh, photocopiers got replaced by scanners. Nobody said anything when bookbinders got replaced by machine printers. Nobody said anything when translators got replaced by you know Google Translate. You know, nobody said anything when when uh, uh, typewriters got replaced. You know, so on and so on and so forth. Artists and craftsmen, and art is a craft. It's most certainly a craft. It's not something that that. Uh, you just do because you have this uber talent. Now, there are people that do have talent more than others, but it is a craft that you have to practice and you have to learn. It becomes part of your life, right? It's like learning how to play the guitar. To be a, become a guitar player, it has to become like one of your appendages. You just have to, this is what you do now, right? Um, it is a craft. Nobody said anything. Nobody freaked out when the craftsman before got replaced. Unfortunately, we're down a slippery slope now, and I'm not saying it's a good thing. That's I'm, that's not at all what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that uh, it's a little late to get off, and um, you know, I don't see any kind of way to to stop it. So we can either sit and like you know shake our fists at the clouds, or we can figure out how to use it in an ethical way that is lucrative for us. Because as of right now, technologically. We are on we are on a precipice. Uh, our world is about to change in a way that can't go back. 
very similar to the way that it changed during the Industrial Revolution. The men that left for World War I rode there on horses and came back on airplanes and landed into a world that looked alien to them. That's how fast it changes. And the people that sat later on, on uh, the, the, um, the later side, down the stream, on that side of the precipice, could no longer see over the wall and understand truly. They could understand in the abstract what that life was like before uh, industry, but they couldn't actually understand it. They have to fulfill those previous um, activities with surrogate activities, with simulacras, right? This is something that we do in um, our everyday lives now. Uh, Men go to the gym uh, and get strong and do martial arts and do get jacked and do all this kind of stuff. I'm not criticizing it. It's very good for you. You should do it. But it is a simulacra. The bottom line is uh, your strength as a man is has been rendered obsolete by technological society. And in fact, to to wield your strength in a way that it's supposed to be uh, wielded by way of violence is actually now in in opposition to your um, reproductive and financial interests. If you like if, if some guy looks at your girl wrong and you smash the teeth out of his head and beat the shit out of him, you now go to jail. If your wife, uh, you know, uh, if your wife like is messing around with some guy on the side, if you go and like get revenge, you go to jail. You can't wield that strength anymore. It's a simulacra, and that's something that and now I, that might be kind of a black pill, but we have to be honest about who and what we are. Those simulacras, they are simulacras. These surrogate activities. They are surrogate activities, but we have to do them so that we can continue to feel human. This next shift is going to is is this is pretty spooky stuff we're going to get into. This next shift, the way that machine learning is going, uh, the world that we know right now is going to be very very different. We are getting into an age where um, just about everything about the human experience can be replicated. And uh, will be very convincing for people, right? I've talked about I talked about this on on the Fergan podcast. Uh, one thing that really spooks me is this idea of of uh, voice replication that they can do. Uh, we are going to see in our lifetimes when uh, a loved one passes on that they will be able through uh, archiving their their uh, language the way they talk through their their social media and on phone calls and everything, they will be able to replicate the syntax and and, uh, quirks and everything about the way that they talk and create a a hologram or animated uh, 3D picture of the loved one that passes on, and that will become the norm, right? Who, who, I'm, I'm sure everybody in this chat has lost a loved one. A grandmother, a grandfather, an uncle, an aunt, a father, a mother, et cetera, et cetera, a friend. How many of you in your time of grief wouldn't pay money to like see that person again, even if it was fake? I can't say that I would say no. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, that's kind of freaky. That's kind of freaky, uh, Dave. I never really looked at it that far ahead. Uh, 
yeah, that's that's uh, some technology to be able to create that. Yeah, so I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going on and on. Let me let me finish this point, bro. This that isn't the scary part. The technology isn't the scary part. The scary part is how we habituate to it. What is going to happen when we learn to live next to us and the consequences that happen way down the road? The specific technology that I'm talking about, we're going to see that. That is going to happen, right? What is, what are people, how are people going to act once they uh, lose touch with their mortality? Once they forget about death? And from their view, people don't really die. Because after they die and they have their funeral, you can continue to talk to them. How are people going to act? And these are the kinds of things that are, are, are going to change everything uh, in a way that is going to be pretty, pretty ghastly, in my view, going into uh, what is going to be what, what we call uh, uh, hyper-modernity, right? Hyper-modernity being the epoch after post-modernity and modernity, right? Where uh, the internet is king, where the virtual space is king, and that which is in reality uh, your that which is in reality is worth less than what is in the virtual space, right? You know, uh, this was all predicted by William Gibson in his book Neuromancer. For folks that are familiar, so you know, shout out to all my sci-fi fans that are familiar with this. But um, this hyper reality is going to be is going to be pretty spooky. Uh, but what's what's even worse about it is that those people are that live in that time period time period are going to be like boiled frogs. Our our grandkids are going to look at us and be like, wow, you actually you guys actually had human doctors. You don't just walk into a tube that fucking has a thing that draws your blood and tells you what's wrong with you. You guys had, you know, uh, these things, you know, they're going to they're going to have a completely different world than us. So uh, and they're not even going to realize how it's different. Yeah, Sorry for the tangent. Sorry uh, for the tangent. No, no, not at all, Dave. Wow, you, you have brought me to um, a new level, basically. Uh, uh, taking the words from Pantera there. Um, wow. Yeah, I never really, I never really looked at it. I kind of looked at AI as being quite a, a dangerous tool in the, you know, especially in the hands of people that do not have our best interests. At yeah this is um this Art, is something that you know, so i'm I sorry you're cutting out looked at it in, you know in generations ahead yeah well um this is something that that we need to kind of consider is whether or not technology is a tool or if if it is uh if we're the tool right um this is where this gets into some some pretty weird stuff right this idea that uh Technology happens whether we like it or not, and um, the trajectory of it is kind of predetermined, and it's working on its own behalf, right? Uh, we could get into that if you if you'd like, if we have time. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. I'd like to explore that, um, you know, that avenue as well. Uh, Gavin, do you want to join in? Do you want to join in in the chat here as well? Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, I just thought to come in there on the AI. Um, I think what he said there is it's very important as the will. It's like that necromancy. They'll have your your dead relatives. People will be still talking to them, 
which surely can't be good for the mental health. Um, it's very scary. The more I looked at it, I've been using that chat GPT, the things it can do. And like what uh, Dave said, it starts to mimic people. Um, like we're going to move into an area, into an era where the internet, you won't know what's real, what's fake. You know what I mean? Who's real or, you know, these deep fakes and all this type of stuff. Like it's, it's a scary world. And then on the other side, the amount of jobs it's going to kill, like it's going to take away all content creation. Um, I don't know. I, I, it's with robotics, it's going to leave a lot of people with no no work. What do you think about that, Dave? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, some of the the uh, more fine motor tasks, uh, like you know, we're we're going to have you know home improvement construction workers for a while. Um, it's going to be a while until robots show up, show up and build your porch, right? It's going to be a while until a robot shows up and does your plumbing or, uh, et cetera, et cetera. However, uh, we're, we're already seeing this, right? It's, we got to kind of get out of this, this frame of, of mind where it's like, oh, well, this is coming. It's not coming. It's already here. All of these layoffs, I don't know if folks are paying attention. Thousands, and in some cases, tens of thousands of employees from Silicon Valley are being let go and they're not replacing them they're they're being their 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 tasks are being uh, automated that has already happened like people that send emails and answer phone calls people that you know it's very soon that programming itself that the programs will be able to write programs so this is already here we're already here and uh, we're about to get <laughs> hurled over the precipice into this this new world and um it's 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 pretty crazy stuff but it's not something that's new it's not something that just popped up it's not something that like just like a small group of evil people have created humanity has has had this in the works for for probably a thousand years let's be honest here um for example the technology of agriculture of of advanced farming of uh, animal husbandry this has completely changed uh the makeup of the, the 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 ecosystem of the earth period uh industrialization just just made it far more efficient right uh for example at this point this is uh, then we get into we can get into numbers here right um, and this is how sheltered we are from nature right we live within the technosphere we are not native in the biosphere anymore when we go out and we go out camping and we go hiking and everything, that is that is another uh, surrogate activity, right? You say, oh, I'm an outdoorsman, and it's nice. It's good to be an outdoorsman, but you're not really an outdoorsman. You can't – that's not your natural habitat. You are – you are uh, – uh, you are – you have habituated over the last however many generations – to live in a building, to have wall-to-wall carpet, you have to wear shoes outside, you need a coat when it gets cold, you are a species that requires the technosphere, especially now. So we are not connected with the biosphere anymore. We are not shaped by its pressures, and we are not... um, uh, uh, we are not familiar with it. We go out into it to experience these surrogate activities so we can, like, you know, feel human once in a while. You know what I mean? Um, when it comes to the the biosphere itself, for example, 
we look on we look on National Geographic or whatever the BBC, and we see these these documentaries, and it has these uh, bugs and plants and and uh, birds and you know these gigantic herds of buffalo and wolves and everything like that. Here's the reality of the situation when it comes to uh, uh, animal species. There are only about 40,000 wild buffalo left on all of planet Earth. There are uh, a one and a half billion domesticated milk cows. There are about 30,000 wild wolves left in all of the world. There are uh, like 600 million domesticated dogs. We are the architects of a of an ecosystem that uh, where the majority, the overwhelming majority of living organisms on the planet are either human beings or the servants of human beings. This is the ghastly. Uh, this is the monstrous outcome of humanism, of techno humanism, which is uh, spawned out of liberalism. This idea that man. His comfort and his experience is uh, uh, belongs upon the throne of God, right? As Nietzsche said, God is dead. He didn't say God is dead celebrating it. He was just talking about it in, in the manner that uh, society, modern society doesn't need God anymore, which I would argue that he does. But in a practical way, we don't use it. We use secular governments and secular this and secular that and science and blah, 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 blah. We don't have priests overview, uh, overseeing our society anymore. We don't have religious law that ensures that if, if you, if you, uh, uh, you know, if you cheat on your hus husband, he's allowed to beat you. You know what I mean? We don't, we don't have these like ecclesiastical and sumptuaric laws that ensure things like the paterfamilias, the house father that says if, if, if if you do some evil, rotten shit, that you have to be put to death. That ensures society is bound by shame and law and truth and order and, and holiness. That keeps society intact. We don't have that anymore. Man, since the advent of liberalism, has placed his condition and his, his freedom and his choosies and all of these kinds of things upon the throne of God. This is the highest ideal that there is. However, here's the truth of the matter, is that soon machine will become uh, on the throne of God, and humanity and his ego is going to come crashing down to earth. Because very soon we are going to relinquish. We have already halfway done it, but very soon we will fully relinquish our humanity and, and, and begin to stumble into transhumanism. And guess what? Human rights, you know, if you want to, if you want to call them that, if you if you want to talk about if you believe in human rights, the bottom line is that human rights only apply to humans, not what we're about to turn into. So we are going to uh, take take the place of of the uh, uh, the cattle that we have uh, lined up in the industrial farms, not in the same kind of way, but in a very similar way. The future is is pretty spooky if you like break a lot of this down. Sorry for fucking oh, what, <laughs> doomsday. No, no, that's absolutely fantastic. That's absolutely fantastic, Dave. And what can we do to try and uh, you? You kind of said that we're in this already, but is there anything we can do to slow it down or, or you know, 
push back against it? Sure. I think uh, I actually think um, there's a few there's a few things that you can that that I think is going to happen. Right. Um, and also, like, I'm not an expert with this, folks. Uh, you know, if, if you're don't, don't let what I'm talking about. This is just like a culmination of all the, the crap that I've read. Right. I'm just a, a jerk off on the Internet. So don't don't get all like super freaked out by all of it. Right. Um, but in my summation, uh, I would say that there are a few ways to avoid it is one uh, all of the, the technosphere operates uh, off of uh, oil. Right. Uh, everything is oil. Everything you look around your room right now, everything has its value based in oil. We are running out of oil. That's like how peak oil is a thing. You know, I mean, they've been talking about it for a long time. And a lot of, lot of folks, oh, well, it's not ha-. it is happening. It is happening. Why do you think a lot of these wars are going on? Why do you think that we're beefing with, um, with Russia and, and China and like all these other countries? Because they have access to uh, the best oil reserves in the world right now. Oil reserves that we traditionally used are drying up. So if oil becomes a problem, the technosphere is going gonna, is gonna to come crashing down. It's going to be pretty ugly. But it's going to come crashing down. Another thing is, I think that there is going to we're going to we're going to develop parallel societies. It's already happening ideologically. We're we're witnessing what is called an epistemic divorce, right? Um, and this is this is actually a pretty monstrous thing. However, it's something that's that's not avoided. Um, this is something that only occurs when you, when when uh, some uh, a, a people adopt propositions as their identities. When they get propositional identities, i.e., I'm I'm this denomination of religion, I'm I'm this political ideology, I'm this abstraction, I'm that abstraction, I'm this political. They it, it's gotten to the point now that that there are people that are neighbors that are from the same area, and um, you know they're fucking enemies because they identify with some crap that they see on TV, right? I have this, I have a neighbor like two doors down from me. They actually the one person, the one guy that lives there has the same last name as me. Like, he's probably my cousin. He's probably a distant cousin. But he's some sort of leftoid goofball, and we glare at each other when we see each other, right? At the gas station that's right by, we, we fucking glare at each other because we're like, we, we're enemies. This is, this is the epistemic divorce. And what, it, what, it, what that means is that that guy that I'm talking about, uh, we have, like, we're, we almost speak a different language. He's not going to understand any of my worldview where I come from, what I regard to be good and true, and what I regard to be like a, a, a idealistic and uh, the, the the foundations the the uh, foundations that I build my worldview off of, uh, the slang and speech and everything that I use is um, he's just not going to understand it. I'm gonna I'm like an alien to him, and he's like an alien to me, right? Uh, I'm sure you guys out there that have like a like a liberal family member or something, you talk to them, and it's like, how do you even believe that? How do you come to that conclusion? They have this absolutely just delusional view of the world because they literally live in a different dimension. Reality is different to them. This is the epistemic divorce. And this divide is only going to continue to grow. So what's going to happen is you're going to have folks like us that uh, aren't going to want to cooperate with uh, uh, the coming techno techno society and all the weird stuff. And we're going to go and start our own parallel thing. 
We're already doing it. You know what I mean? I look at I'm looking beside me at the pile of books next to me. Anything that isn't like uh, from from the old days is written by one of our guys. Yeah, I got like these like I got a stack of cassettes sitting in front of me. I love cassettes, by the way. I love I love old analog uh, stuff. So do I. Our, yeah, it's fantastic. Don't even get me. We're gonna be here another hour if we talk about that. So let's let's go. Let's, but um, this is all our our guy stuff. You know, what I mean, I, we have like our own economy, our own little world. Like we have all our own stuff. And what's crazy is we're all like you guys are in Ireland. I'm here in America. And like, we, you know, we speak the same language. We're good. Yeah. Yeah. We're agreeing with each other. We've never met before. We're from different countries. This is, this is an epistemic divide. And those of us that are on this side of the aisle worldwide are going to build these little, uh, these little kind of uh, insulated enclaves that don't cooperate with it. Right. Uh, they can't, they can't uh, control everybody. And uh, here's here's uh, another thing. This goes into like the Fermi paradox. For folks that uh, aren't familiar with the Fermi paradox, um, it, it's mostly explaining why we've never seen aliens. Uh, that mathematically there has to be aliens, and but why haven't we seen them? And one of the explanations is that once technology reaches a certain point, uh, everybody has become so decadent and fat and gay and retarded that the space travel just isn't possible. People aren't smart enough anymore. They're too fat and gay and retarded. So this is this is something that is also involved with technology, is that once technology, I think, gets to a certain point, people are going to be too dumb to run it. <laughs> I mean, we have we are seeing an IQ collapse. They did. There's a study that was done a few years ago. College graduates in like um, was it in 20, 2018 or twenty nineteen, bachelor's degree, bachelor's degree level college graduates could not pass an eighth grade test from like 1880, right? They weren't even bachelor's degree holding. These are like, you know, doctors and scientists and like, not necessarily doctors, but doctors, you gotta get a doctor. But you know what I mean? Like high level advanced degree holding people that go and speak and have and write peer reviewed papers aren't as smart as eighth graders from the 1800s. <laughs> that is how far our IQ has fallen. And once the IQ falls that far, you no longer have the genius level of the, 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 the uh, distribution of geniuses. That recoils backwards, right? Because uh, the, the, the bell curve changes its shape when the, the average goes down. So we're not creating geniuses at the level anymore, right? And this is because of technology. Once you have technology... There's, uh, you know, everybody in, like, infant mortality goes from, like, 50% down to, like, 1%. So every every dumb, dumb, and goofball period gets to survive and have kids, and this re- results in, in um, you know, more genetic mutation. So it's very possible that once technology gets to this level that, that uh, you know, it's it's all, like, this techno-dark, that people are just going to be too, too like retarded to, to, to run the thing. So what's going to happen? We're going to create our enclaves. It's already happening. We already have them. It's only a time before like, uh, like normie reality becomes so bizarre to us that we don't even like, and I'm like that too. I like say I go to the gym or something like that. When I talk to the guys at the gym, I don't know what the fuck they're talking about. <laughs> you know what I mean? I have no idea. I understand what they're talking about. 
they're like speaking a different language, talking about you know shows that I've never heard of or ba- like rappers or whatever. I don't even know what they like and do, and they're like aliens to me almost. You know what I mean? Um, and also, it's a little different here in America because we are uh, we have become um, pretty not just multiculturally, like like racially, but as we have a lot of people that have moved around. So you have like you you can go into somewhere you can go to a store in Wyoming and there's a guy from New York and a guy from California, you know what I mean? So like this this like strong regionalism that we used to have is is kind of gone. So we we do have um, some pretty mixed up uh, cultural divides too. It's not like like you guys in Ireland like you have you I'm sure you have regional flavors of I, uh, Irish, but for the most part people are Irish, right? You, your country's not that that big. That's not how it is here. You know what I mean? So it's a little bit different. But uh, going back, I'm rambling on and on. But we are going to, these enclaves are going to form, and we're not going to participate in that in that uh, reality. We're going to have our own thing. So who knows where that goes? I don't know. This is all just me speculating. But um, I just, I, I'm, I'm actually not black-pilled about the future. I think I, I'm actually very excited because with this shift in technology, we have a huge opportunity to get in front of it and um, influence the world uh, in a way that we never could before. Think about it like this. I started a, a publishing company out of my house with 200 lousy dollars. You couldn't do that 30 years ago. The bizarre archives wouldn't be a thing 30 years ago. Because of this technology, we now have these opportunities to strike. We have these opportunities to influence the world. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm actually very um, optimistic about the future. And uh, in, in, in addition to that, those who control the institutions, Hollyweird, you know, the publishing companies, um, you know, what have you, especially in entertainment, they're dropping the ball. They suck. Politics aside, let's get politics out of this side. Their stuff just sucks. They're not good. You know, say there was no pause. Say there was no no subversion in their movies. They're just not good movies. They're not funny. They're not talented. They're not creative. They stink. And they're hemorrhaging money. There's only so long that these uh, um, ESG like welfare bucks from from the WEF are going to keep them propped up. There's only so long that BlackRock can can like prop these guys up. There's not that much money in the world to. They are failing so hard that the people that have infinite money can't give them enough money to save them. They suck. This is a perfect time for us to get into film. Get into get into game development to get into publishing to get into the arts right and also here's the, here's another thing the best stuff has always come from the underground always we got a little spoiled there in like the 80s and 90s because there was like you could turn on the radio and hear some dope shit right the you had you had some pretty awesome movies. you had like some of the best movies ever like in the you go we went to theaters and we saw yeah, we saw Jurassic Park. We saw Jaws. Well, I didn't see Jaws before my time, but you know what I mean. Yeah, we 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 saw the Predator movies. We had Terminator and RoboCop and The Thing and Omen and um, you know Poltergeist and you know, just every whatever whatever genre of movie that you you can think of. We had we the best ones were already were made like in the last twenty years. So so we have this presupposition that 
that uh, that's where we should see the best art is in theaters or on the radio. That's just not the case. The bottom line is the best shit has always come out of the underground. You know, when it, who was it? Um, I think it was one of the Beatles that said that the, uh, the mainstream is like five years behind the underground or downstream from the under. I can't remember what he said, but it's true. And this is happening in literature. This is happening in film. You could go on YouTube right now. I'm a fan. I love cosmic horror. It's like I can't get enough of it. You go in on YouTube and type in cosmic horror indie short film, and you're going to see 10 films. You're going to see a lot of stinkers, right? You're going to see a lot of really low-budget stinker stuff, which I kind of like them too. I think that they have their own charm. But you type that in. You're going to watch movies that conceptually, they might not have the same production value, which, you know, it's getting pretty close now because of the technology. You just kind of, uh, a B-movie now compared to like, a, like a, a box office is a much more narrow gap compared to what it was 30 years ago. It's just the way that it is. Somebody with a few grand worth of equipment can make something that looks like it came out of Hollywood if he really wants to. So uh, you go type that in on YouTube. You're going to find a dozen films that are conceptually just way more brilliant than anything you can see in, in the movie theater, right? You go on Bandcamp or, or whatever, and you go look up like music and you do some digging. You're going to find bands and guitar players and singers and guys that are just like fantastic. Art is not dead. Art now is like more alive than it ever has been. I am drowning in like bands that are just dope. I can't, I don't, I don't have enough time to listen to all this awesome stuff. I don't have enough time to watch all these awesome movies. I don't have enough time to read all these awesome books. Like there's so much great shit out there. You don't even need to turn on Netflix. Cancel your Netflix. The net, the underground, whether you're talking books, film, music, what have you tabletop role-playing game. The tabletop role-playing, you have this OSR movement. Dude, there are, like, thousands, thousands of, of table, like indie-made tabletop role-playing games, and tons of them are awesome, right? You could go on Etsy and order paintings from people that are just, like, brilliant painters and hang that shit on your wall. You know what I mean? Art now is, like, is like popping, right? I just think that... Uh, we just haven't seen it yet. It's the people don't realize it yet because there's too many goofball normies. We're, here's our problem is that, is that we are, you know, we make fun of them for like their obsession with the current thing. We're in it too, because the moment the current thing drops, we come running to make fun of it and mock it. We are the opposition to the current thing and we do it automatically. We are just like the, the reactors to the people. And it's like, instead, we need to turn our gaze uh, the other way to what's being created. Because he who reacts is not in a position of power. When you react, when you're reactionary, you're stepping backwards. You're reacting to somebody that has made the first move. We need to make the first move. We need to go into a position of power. And we need to turn our gaze to, like, man, I, like I, just, share, I just shared on my Telegram uh, my buddy uh, Luke, who has a one-man band called Imminent Rain, he's a metal band. He fucking rules, man. He plays. He's an awesome guitar player, shreds, plays bass. He has a voice like Rob Halford in his prime, with these like like soaring falsetto. The guy is incredible talent. He's got like five hundred subs on YouTube. 
That's criminal. That's criminal. There's so much good stuff out there that there's no reason to even pay attention to the garbage in the mainstream, period. Yeah, Dave, 100%. And um, you hit some good points there, a good few good points um, regarding the, you know, getting our stuff out there and using this technology. And what you were saying there as well is uh, very important. Like you said there, you got set up on a shoestring, which you couldn't do in the past, which is true. And I, I seen Scott Adams there was a deplatformed this week, and that was all the publishing companies and uh like all of them are, they they'll all go to the wall. Like they're they're the legacy medium will will die out. So I agree with a lot of what you said. We're after hitting time, and it's well into the time. So I that was fantastic, um, fantastic stuff. Fair play. Yeah, yeah can, sorry can for I, go ahead. Yeah, go I, ahead. I'm sorry. Have, yeah, sorry, Dave. I I I just have one question for you because I'm actually driving at the moment. I have to collect my son. Have to do the mom duties. Um, old school or new school metal? Oh my goodness! Oh, b- both. Well, it depends. Depends on genre. Depends on band. Depends. Like it really depends. Uh, I am an old school guy. I love old school metal. I love the stuff from the eighties. I love the the stuff from the late 70s and stuff from the 90s. Like, that's what I grew up listening to, and I have a special place in my heart for it. However, there is a ton of new stuff out that's just as good. That's just as good. You just got to look for it, right? And, you know, there's a lot of stuff uh, that, that was around in the 80s and the, the, old, or the old time that never got the light of day. That fucking rules. So go do some digging. Become, I, can, I call myself uh, a metallologist a heavy metal archaeologist. I go dig through and I try to find these obscure-ass bands that, like, never really went anywhere. They might have a couple albums in, like, 1988 or 1994 or something like that, and they just rule, right? There's so much good music out there, old and new. I love the classics, and I'm always looking for new stuff. So my answer is 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 both. Now, if we're going to talk, like, uh, 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 are we talking, like, like old-school style of like let's say like death metal and thrash and black metal and like old school doom metal and that stuff versus like gent and like um these like uh, kind of bands or metal core bands or whatever old school all day i that gent stuff is just i i don't like it at all i think it sucks it's like it's like the anime of of metal yeah, you've answered my question perfect there. Thank you so much, Dave. And I really appreciate you've been so generous with your time. And you have to come back to us again. Absolutely. My pleasure. Anytime. Thank you so much to uh, all you folks and both you guys. And, you know, blessings to you guys and uh, blessings to uh, old Ireland over there. So I hope you guys uh, have a good uh, Ostara or Easter or whatever it is coming up. And, um, you know, hails and blessings to all you guys. Thank yeah, you. thank you. Thank you, Dave. Really appreciate it.